Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Molly Mayhoff, and this morning's reading is from Genesis chapter 48, verses 1 through 22. One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. Long ago, as I was returning from Padam Aram, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way some distance from Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons, he asked? Yes, Joseph told them. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand, and with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, my God, May God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Jacob said to Joseph, Look, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will take you back to Canaan, the land of your ancestors. And beyond what I have given to your brothers, I am giving to you an extra portion of the land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central make sure I'm on here. Um, 
We've heard several um, sermons already this morning from, in song and uh, from comments and testimony and uh, testimony about uh, heart math tutoring from our sister Marianne. So many good words we've heard this morning. Um, something that uh, Brother Gaston just said is sticking with me right now is that um, when we don't have all the pieces together, we can still glorify God. I don't know about you, but this past week, I didn't have all the pieces together. And maybe that's you. Maybe somebody here this morning needs to be reminded that when you don't have all the pieces together, God can still be glorified in your life. Amen? Um, there's also this, um, many of you are familiar with uh, the sociological term for something that goes on in, in our society called the uh, the school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, many of you are familiar with that. And as you look at something, a structure that, that huge, you may look at it and go, well, how do, how do we do, how do we break this thing down? How do we disrupt it? It's so, it's so large. And I just want to encourage you, if the Lord was already tugging on your heart to participate in heart math tutoring, that is one small way that you can actually disrupt that system. Um, and uh, so if you're, you're looking for a practical way to be involved in uh, addressing that issue in our society, I would definitely encourage you to speak to our sister Rebecca and see how you can get involved with that. Um, and I'm sure she would be more than happy to let you know of some, some really practical ways to get involved with what's going on there. Um, this morning, we are all facing... And by all, I just mean the globe uh, facing some huge transitions. And um, one we just heard about uh, recently uh, going on in the, the UK with the, the queen having passed on and uh, her son now uh, taking up the throne. And uh, some of you have probably watched these reports. Uh, the, re the reports uh, are, are saying or talking about the economy and, and uh, just noticing, like, oh, yeah, this, there's been massive inflation going on, right? And uh, we're possibly heading into a recession. And apparently in Europe, it's worse than it is here. And uh, so one of the things that people are watching to see is if this new king is going to be able to do anything, uh, be able to work along with the prime minister and parliament uh, there to help um, turn the tide to make things better. But certainly here in America, we're facing the same, uh, same similar issue, right? We're uh, this, we're going through this transition. Thank God we made it out of 2020, um, right? Where, where we don't have to, it's almost like Bruno. We don't want to talk about it. Right? So, um, but, 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 it, but it happened, and, and we made it through, and uh, we certainly experienced loss, but we're still here by God's grace. And, but it's a massive transition. And so there are questions that each of us are facing as well. And, of course, our church Right? I mean, we've, we've been naming this now for the past several weeks. Our church as a whole has been facing a, a massive transition, um, wondering, like, who is Christ Central going to become in the next phase of our life? And uh, for those of you who have been visiting with us for a while, you've probably picked up on that. You're probably like, okay, some, some things are a little different here. I'd, I'd heard about the Christ Central of old, and, um, but now it's like I've been here and something's going on. There's this sort of... Um, you know, maybe a low-grade tension, a sort of tentativeness, if you will, uh, and, and all that is natural and good. I mean, there's nothing bad about that. Uh, it just comes with transitions. And then there are 
you know, the school season just started and uh, some of y'all have kids and have started new grades and man, they are facing some transitions right now, trying to make new friends and figure out what their place is in their school. And some of you are going to graduate school and others of you have started new jobs. Transitions are a natural part of life. There's no way to escape them and they're actually good for us. Uh, even as we heard from our sister in her testimony, we um, heard from her testimony how the Lord can be present in those transitions and um, actually change our lives for the better. But while we're in those transitions, we uh, hopefully begin to form some new commitments to find out what it is that really drives us. What's really important to me as I'm going through these transitions and I'm facing a future of which I may not be so certain of? What should I be committed to? And of course, our country is facing this. Um, if some of you, like me, are like watching uh, the new phase of Lord of the Rings unfold and on, you know, on Amazon, like, uh, you know, is Amazon going to totally destroy the story of Lord of the Rings? I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, but I'm sort of like tentatively watching to see what's going to happen with the, the world of fantasy with all this stuff. And for those of you who have been watching Game of Thrones, and maybe you don't want to say it out loud, you've been watching it, but all that kind of stuff, just all these, all these transitions, right? This is happening. Um, what's going on? What am I committed to? What are my values? Right? What can I hold on to? What are my assurances? We talk about insurance as things are changing, but what about our assurances? What can we hold on to? Each of us has a vision, of course, for our world, a vision for ourselves, a vision for our families. And those transitions that we go through put that vision to the test. And so then we come back to our commitments. What will I stick to as I am moving on into the next phase of my life, the next phase of my job, the institution that I participate in? What will we be committed to? Visions influence the way that we blog, the way that we shop, the way we go to school, the way that we determine our sound investments. Right? And sometimes, in the middle of these transitions, Right, we begin to uh, evaluate our lives. And sometimes, in, like, in, in, if, if, it's, if, it's, if it's hard enough, you may even begin to ask yourself, does my life even matter? And I'm moving into something new, but I don't know if whatever it is I'm moving into, my life or my work will count there. What about all the things that I have done in the past? This new place, will it have a place for me, this new opportunity, will it have a place for who I really am? Does my life really mean anything? Will my commitments, the sacrifices that I've made in the past, will they even count in this new thing into which I'm entering? Is there a place for me in the new phase? And we sometimes ask these questions of ourselves and of course, in these transitions, and if we were to ask those questions every day, it could be somewhat depressing. Um, so uh, depending on where we land on these things, and so we don't ask, ask ourselves these questions every day, but they're natural questions to ask. Will my life count in the new phase? In this transition, as I begin to 
hold on and to name what my commitments are and the sacrifices that I have made and the things that I value, will they have a place in the new phase? When things get tough, when we enter into critical periods, leaving our homes, graduating from college, entering into midlife, or even the golden years, we wonder, have I done anything in my life, in the past, that will count in the future? The good thing is for us in God's word, uh, we have answers. There are assurances for us as we face the future, as we go through these transitions of life. Um, the Mosaic community, the one to which the, the original readers of this text that we heard this morning, they were walking through the wilderness, were they not? Uh, they, they had spent uh, almost 40 years walking in the wilderness, walking into a future that was yet unknown. Yes, it was Canaan, it was a promised land, the land filled with milk and honey, uh, that there would be much prosperity there waiting uh, for the people of God, but that's not where they were yet. They weren't there yet. They were still in this sort of liminal space, an in-between space, a transition. And they had to wonder, right, will, will our lives count? Will we really be able to make a difference? Will we be significant in the new phase? And we're tempted to think that we are left alone at times. Certainly this Mosaic community felt, must have felt this way, that they were left alone to make the best out of whatever the universe just gives you. I mean, we saw them. We saw them go through this almost immediately. When Moses went up the mountain, right, what, what do they do? They're just like, well, God has forsaken us. He's not here. So let's go ahead and make this golden calf, right? And, and so we start looking for false saviors, false gods to help us through because the anxiety, right, has, has driven us further away from God. Sometimes it clouds us. Our, um, our brother Derek testified to that this morning, how sometimes anxiety can cloud your vision. And you know the words, like he said this morning, you hear the words, you know, you know the scriptures, but you can't, you can't, something happens in your heart in the midst of the wilderness when you're anxious and it's hard to see the Lord. Where is he? Will he follow us? Will he make our lives count in the new phase? Or are we simply left to play the hand that we've been dealt and to try to make a difference on our own? The Mosaic community was tempted to think this. If we're honest, so are we. Here they are, millions of people who are freed from slavery, right? But now they're struggling in the wilderness. They're not yet in this land of prosperity, unsettled and unstable. We certainly know what that feels like. Right? And they're thinking, like, what kind of impact will we have in this new land? What will we be able to leave behind for our children if we are left out here in this place with no land? The things that God has promised to us, will we make it there? And if we make it there, what will we leave behind for our children? Will our lives even count? Or has God abandoned us? And Moses is saying, 
through this word that no, God has not abandoned you, but rather you should know that God is here and that he cares about you. He cares about the impact that your lives make on the land and that the impact that your lives make on others. And because of certain assurances that he gives through his servant, Jacob. So if we can, let's for a minute use our sanctified imagination and put ourselves in the feet of this, uh, in the shoes of this Mosaic community that is listening to this word for the first time. And they're hearing these promises of God given down, passed down to them through Jacob and Joseph as Moses records these things for them. What are these assurances that God gives to them as they are passing through the wilderness, anxious about their future? What are the assurances that God gives, and what do they have to do with you and I? So we've gotten a sense of the full picture from the text, but I want to share with you three particular things, some assurances. That is the, uh, the assurance of a heritage, but also the assurance of adoption. And then lastly, I'll share with you the assurance of an inheritance. So the assurance of a heritage, the assurance of adoption, and the assurance of an inheritance to help us as we walk through the wilderness facing the uncertainty of our future. Now, we love to hear other people's stories, as we've heard this morning, and um, there's a lot that we can get from that, right? And if maybe some of you, as you heard, even our sister testified through her video this morning, you, one of the things that you thought was, man, I can identify with that, right? I, I found a point of connection. I could see myself in her story, and it lets you know that you're not alone, right? And that's comforting. That's a really good thing, and it's one of the reasons why we share testimonies in our church and why we should continue to do so. And, uh, you know, maybe as you've heard uh, uh, that, that testimony, as you hear other testimonies, you think, yeah, you know, uh, this is a, that's somebody who's experienced something real because I've, I've experienced that too. That's happened in, in my life. And so that, that lets me know that the, faith, uh, that the faith that we confess is a faith that is rooted in real life. Right? It's, it's not just something that's out there, a bunch of stories that are disconnected from us and uh, happened in the days of yore and some kind of mythology. But the testimonies make the records of the faith real for us. And perhaps for some of you, if you heard these, these testimonies in, in Scripture and from our sister this morning, it, 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 it kind of stokes the flame of wanting to know more, right? Like, I, I want to know more. I want to know more about her life, but I also want to know about God, right? Who is this God that shows up right, in, in times when people are unsure about their future? And so this is part of what, uh, God does uh, for his people uh, through Moses as he reveals to them uh, what he told Jacob to give to Joseph's sons. Remember this, that as Joseph was, was here, like as you hear in the text, Joseph is before Jacob, right? And Jacob is uh, ready to, to bless his son. Uh, and, and Joseph uh, already knew he already knew just how faithful God is. He already knew that. But his sons didn't quite know yet. Right? His, his sons needed to know about the faithfulness 
of God. His sons needed to hear the stories. And Jacob retells those stories so that his sons would know that they have a heritage in the faith. And how often we forget and how often we need the testimony of someone else to remind us of the heritage of the faith. And as we've already established, I mean, that's a, that's a huge blessing for us. It's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing to know that you've come from a line of people who've walked with the living God. Right? Some of you maybe remember um, uh, my, my, uh, the oldest of my sons is going into just started middle school. And, and, of course, all these memories are coming back of what it was like for me when I went to middle school. And, you know, you leave the elementary school and you're going into a new school. You don't want to be, you don't want the, the, new, the new crowd to, to know that you were the kid that used to eat glue, right? You just, you don't want people to know that. You, you know, it's like you, you, want a, you want a certain record to, go, to follow you. You don't want people to know that, oh, yeah, this is the kid that used to, you know, smell like boo-boo in class and all that kind of stuff. Like, you, know, you don't want to go into middle school with that, you know? You want to go to, into middle school with a good record, a good heritage, right? And so others will accept you, and you, you'll go in filled with pride and ready to take on whatever comes at you as you start in this new phase of life. But, um, you know, the, and it gives you, it gives you something to hold on to. It gives you something to hold on to when, when life begins to shake you about. And um, Jacob tells Joseph, and through Joseph, his grandsons, he tells them about, uh, about El Shaddai, God Almighty, who met him at the place called Luz, right? And this is a real place. It is a, a place that you can find. It is rooted in real space and time. Like he's telling his grandsons, like, hey, this is a part of your story. There's a real place that you can go to where you will see, you'll see this is the place where, where God met me and God delivered me. This is a part of your story. And here's what Moses would have us to know today, that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are one who follows Jesus, then that heritage that belongs to, to Ephraim and Manasseh also belongs to you. Because you also, if you worship the God of Jacob, are one of Jacob's sons and daughters. His testimony is a part of your heritage. And if you don't know, right, I mean, maybe I don't, I don't know what the her family heritage looks like for every single person in this room, right? I don't, I don't know, like, right now, if some of you were to start thinking through that heritage, like, would some of you feel really good about it, or would others be tempted to feel ashamed? I don't know where you are right now. As you, I, I, you know, like, maybe there's, there's stuff in the closet concerning your family. I mean, most families, that's there, right? There's something you dig far enough, right? You're going to find something. Um, but for some of you, there's, there's some really good stuff, right? Maybe some of you are descended from war heroes or small-town heroes, things of that nature. But for others of you, you may not know a whole lot about your own family history. Those things have been locked away from you or taken from you, hidden from you. But know that if you are walking with Jesus today, you have a heritage one that is given to you through the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is glorious. Your heritage is deeper than you may realize. Your family has a testimony that goes all the way back 
to Jacob and all the way back to his grandfather, Abraham. Thousands after him have testified to this similar story in their own lives. And much of it is written in the scriptures. And that is one of the reasons why as believers we are encouraged to go into the scriptures because we, are dig- we, we have an opportunity to dig into our family history and to see how God has been at work there. Even if we look into our immediate family history and we're like unable to see where God has been at work. And I, I, although I would say like if you, if you sat down with someone who was really attentive, a spiritual director, a pastor, an elder, someone like they could they'd probably be able to show you a couple of things, you know, or just a, a spiritual friend who's been uh, walking with Jesus for a long time. They probably could show you some places in your immediate family history where God has been at work. But nevertheless, you have something that goes back thousands and thousands of years. I just want to say this for those of you in the room who don't self-identify as Christians. And maybe as you hear about this, you might be like, well, like, what's the big... Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, why do we want to really want to celebrate this whole idea of a heritage, especially in somebody like Moses who has been dead for a long time? And then, you know, like, look at what Moses reveals. Look at what he reveals about the, the heritage of these people walking through the wilderness. I mean, he reveals some dirt about Jacob in particular, about their people. I mean, we know the whole story of what happened to Joseph. You know, how... how Jacob just kind of threw his son Joseph sort of uh, under the bus in particular ways. He was kind of passive as a, as a dad, you know, and um, celebrated and, and practiced favoritism. And, and then how that, uh, you know, resulted in Joseph being abandoned and left for dead by his own brothers. I mean, this is a pretty, this is a pretty messy kind of history. Is that the kind of history that you want to embrace like, and how is that supposed to help anybody? I mean, and, and we barely do that today. Like, like I said earlier, like we, we barely want to embrace publicly a heritage that's filled with all kinds of mess. But here's the deal. If you're here today and you're considering the Christian faith, maybe one of the reasons why this heritage is so messy is because it's real. Maybe it's because God is actually with his people. That God was actually with Jacob and Joseph and all of his sons. I mean, in ancient traditional culture, you wouldn't air out this kind of stuff, right? I mean, this is traditional culture. Some of y'all, y'all know, like, there's a whole lot of honor and shame and all that stuff involved. It's like, you don't, there's just certain things you just don't talk about. Um, you, you know, and yet, all this stuff is revealed. And maybe it's revealed and maybe it's told to us because it's real. Maybe it's because Moses was actually telling the truth. And so it's something worth considering. But we've all, hopefully, have uncles or mentors or parents or grandparents who can testify to God's presence in their lives. Right? And, you know, grandma's testimony doesn't necessarily prove the existence of God, but it does make his existence plausible. We're not alone in the world. There is real history, thousands of testimonies that bear witness to the glory and the presence of God in the lives of real people. And that is an assurance that we can hold on to as we move into 
the unknown parts of our future. But here's, here's something else, even as we consider that. Think about the assurance of adoption. So verses 13, let's look at this again. The assurance of adoption that we're given. Here's as Moses tells us this, that uh, then he positioned Joseph, the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name in the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, so Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. I mean, stop there. Right? This kind of sounds a little off, right? considering that Joseph and his sons are probably the second wealthiest people in the entire kingdom. Right? To think of this, right? Joseph was the second one in charge. Uh, after Pharaoh, he had the most power in the entire kingdom. So this seems a little off. Like, uh, you know, like, why, why, why would Joseph be so upset about what's happening here? You know, and, and then, you know, why would, uh, why would his sons uh, need, to, um, need to accept to, uh, and even have this kind of blessing from their grandfather? Well, you know, as I just looked at it, look at it again, just in case you missed it, verse 12, let me go back to verse 12. Look at this. He said, it said that Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh, Jacob's right hand. And then verse 14, but Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. I hate, this is no secret. If you've read the scriptures for a while and you've sort of steeped yourself in the Hebrew scriptures, you know this, that typically it's the firstborn that gets the blessing, right? The firstborn is the one that gets the blessing. And yet, for Jacob makes this scandalous move. Now, if you know anything about Jacob, you know that scandal is not new to him, okay? Uh, so, so he makes this, this scandalous move. Right? He's, he, sort of, he sort of crisscrosses his hands and Joseph jumps. And he's like, what, what, what's going on here? Uh, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Dad. Like, what, what, what are you doing? Uh, you know, my, my son is a, the firstborn. He's the one that's supposed to get the blessing. Right? Is he, he's the firstborn. Isn't that the way that it works in this world? Isn't that the way that it works in our family? And, it, and you know, and Jacob is just sort of like as a, Good old dad, you know, you can kind of maybe picture him maybe rubbing Joseph's, you know, rubbing the kitchen back there. And he's just like, you know, I know, 
I know, son. You know, just rubbing him, calming him down. I, I, I know, son. It's all right. It's all right. You know, he's, he's, because remember this. Here's how things, are, this isn't the first time that this has happened in Jacob's family. Right? Uh, it was, wasn't, wasn't it his father, Isaac, chosen over Ishmael? But Ishmael was the firstborn. Uh, wasn't it Jacob himself that was confirmed over Esau? And Esau was the firstborn? Wasn't Joseph himself given a greater blessing over Reuben, who was the firstborn? And so now Ephraim is being blessed over Manasseh. So here's the thing. In God's economy, it seems that all the advantages tend to go to those who are the least rather than to those who have the most. In God's economy, it seems that all the advantages tend to go toward the least rather than to those who have the most. The brighter future is given to those who don't have a lot rather than to those who have all of the privileges. And so you might feel alone. You might feel as if you haven't had all the opportunities. You might feel alone. You might feel like you don't have all the marketable skills and you don't have the beauty to commend yourself. But God is in the world turning things upside down so that he exalts those who are not firstborn, but he exalts the weak. He exalts the disenfranchised. He exalts the marginalized, and he makes them sons and daughters, and he blesses them. Now, all the privileges right, that, 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 couldn't be, that, couldn't be, uh, that, that could not be earned right, but are, are given by way of blessing, are given to the lesser son. This is interesting, I think, because um, I think of this family and as a, the more I think of them, this is it's kind of funny because uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, as you compare them to the, uh, you know, the other children of Jacob, they're like the strange cousins, right? Because they, they grew up in Egypt. They're the ones who sort of like, you know, you at, you at the lunch table and, you know, their food smells a little different, right? And you're just like, what is that? You know, <laughs> um, like how, how are they even included? Like what's going on? Uh, they're the ones who... Um, you're, you're playing Uno, and they're playing like, with different rules. You're just like, wait a minute, what, how do you do this? Right? Um, that's not how you play spades. Like, what do you, what's going on? Uh, and you've got to explain the rules. They come from uh, a different kind of family. They've got a different kind of heritage, these cousins. And you and I, when we compare ourselves to others in our society, we might look at our lives and go, you know what? I don't know if I have what it takes to achieve the American dream, I don't know if I have all the privileges. I feel sort of strange, sort of different. I mean, look at my family, come into my home. Does it, it doesn't look like the status quo. And yet, one thing that we realize in God's economy is that none of us, None of us would have a part in God's work and in his inheritance if it were not for his will, his will of grace, which adopts us, which adopts us and keeps us humble 
right, and, and helps us to bow before the Lord. Every time that we think about our future, he has made us, he has brought us into his family. Manasseh and Ephraim, for all intents and purposes, could have seemed like they were on the outside because they didn't come up in Canaan. They came up in Egypt. They came up underneath in a different kind of culture. And in so many different ways, on the outside, it seemed like they, they didn't belong. But we know that when it comes to God's family, that when we look on the inside, none of us belong because of sin, because of our decisions, because of our selfish dispositions. And yet, because of God's grace, we belong. He has brought us in. Right? And so we're, we're, we're not alone. Right? No matter how bleak or disappointing our lives may be, we are daughters and sons of the living God. And he intends to bless us. And then so along with the, the heritage of, of God's witnesses that we have as we move into the future, we also have this privilege, the assurance of being adopted into the family of God as we move into the future. So we have these two blessings, which are amazing in and of themselves. But there's more. Right? There's more that God wants to give us. He's so generous, isn't he? He has, he has so much more that he wants to give us. There's this assurance of an inheritance. Look with me again at verse 9, just starting there. Uh, well, actually, we can go back to verse 8. It says, and then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons, he asked. I love that question. So beautiful. I mean, he has to know that these are his grandsons, but it's just he hasn't seen them. Um, this is the first time. It's so beautiful. Yes, Joseph told him, these are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. And then in verse 20, it says, so Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And then in verse 22, it says this, And beyond what I have given your brothers, I am giving you an extra portion of the land. Somebody ought to look to heaven and say, extra, extra, yes. I am giving you an extra portion of the land that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Hey, what a wonderfully tender moment this is. You know, Jacob had been separated from his son for years, right? For, like, apparently so long that they were apart from each other, like, there was enough time for Jacob to have not one, no, Joseph, excuse me, to have not one but two boys before they were finally reunited. Jacob finally sees his son that he thought was lost, right? And he not only gets to see his son again, but he gets to hold his grandbabies. Yes, Joseph had a dream, right? And he was, uh, you know, Joseph eventually became estranged from his own family. He probably began to speak a little funny. Right? He had a, probably had developed a new accent because of where he lived. And, you know, some of you might be in that place. 
Were you slightly displaced from your own families because of uh, decisions that you have made, good decisions, the places where you have been, maybe because of your education, because of the circles that you've been in, because of uh, you may have moved away from your family of origin. You have a certain level of estrangement from your own family. And Joseph, in this moment, as he's reunited with his daddy, with his sons by his side, even with all the power that he has in the world, he may still be asking himself, who am I? Am I still my father's beloved? Daddy, do you still love me? Jacob says, yes, Joseph. Yes, you are still my son. You still belong to this family. And I'll tell you what, not only will God, has God been with you and will God be with you, but you will receive double. And, and, and you know, as you, and this is interesting because as you read the rest of the history of Israel, there's little mention of a tribe of Joseph. Right? I mean, you get all the other sons who are mentioned and the descendants of those tribes. And it's like, wait, what happened? Like, I thought Joseph was the one who was favored. Right? Didn't he have the, the technicolor dream coat and all that stuff, right? And, um, you know, didn't the Lord bless him and elevate him in Egypt? Like, why doesn't he get a whole tribe named after him? But, oh, wait, as you read the record, what do you see? You see the names of the other 11 boys and then there are two more, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph gets the double portion, right? Here's Joseph before his father. You know, I, I have my own children now, Dad. And this is, these are your final hours. Your life is, is slipping away. Dad, we're here with you in some of your final days. And I don't know if I have what it takes to move into the future without you. I lost you once before. I have you again. And now that I'm, I'm, I have to, I'm a father, I'm wondering, do I have what it takes to move into the future? Can I, can I do this? Right, but, uh, and, and, and yet, um, you know, God... What Jacob says is God will be with you. God will be with you. Don't be afraid, my son. God will be with you. And then he's not just talking about a double portion here when he blesses his son and enhances his grandson. He's not just talking, this isn't just about extra, but it's about abundance. Right? So remember this. Uh, the, the disciples themselves later on as they went to Jesus. Remember this in Matthew 19, verse 29. The disciples came before Jesus, and they said this. They were wrestling with the same issue, right? And he says, uh, Jesus says to the, uh, in verse 27, Peter says to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Do you hear the, the anxiety in his voice? 
right? There's this sense of transition. Something new is happening in our lives as a result of following you, God. We've given up everything. What will we get? And Jesus says to Peter, to his disciples, and he says to us in verse 29, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Do you see the inheritance that God has for us? Do you see what he has promised to those who would follow him? Even in the midst of our own insecurity. And here's what he says. He says, you know, that, um, that he, he wanted, God wanted Joseph, right, to walk after the ways of his father, which he did, right? Um, and then, you know, God wants, uh, God wants Joseph to see, of course, that, that he will be with him even as his own father is slipping away from his hands, right? Joseph is sitting there and he's, he's looking at his father who's aged and he's like, you're about to leave us. You're about to leave us. What, are we, what am I going to do? And it reminds him that God will be with you. And not only this, you will have an abundance. There will be an extra portion, a double portion. Tenderly, Jesus says to those of us who would follow him, you too will have a double portion. For I would not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. <laughs> and he's speaking there of the Holy Spirit. And then he also says to his disciples and to us, I am going to prepare a place for you. So do you see in there, there's, there's two things that Jesus has promised to us as we move into the future. He has promised to us, if we are careful and we understand this, that he has given us a new heavens and a new earth. A new creation awaits those who follow the Lord. And yes, we are also given God himself through the Holy Spirit. That's a double portion, right? And, 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 you know, and we may be looking at life and thinking, oh, well, man, I thought I had this thing figured out. But life has lately left me a little bit unsettled because of the, the change that's been happening around me economically or because of an aging parent or because my children are going through new things or I've lost a roommate or I've lost a job or I've actually been promoted and I'm unsure whether I'll be able to measure up to the task before me. And so my life has, feels completely unsettled and I don't know what's going to happen. I've been trying to make a difference, God. I've been trying to make a change in this world and trying to leave something different behind from my own children, the generations coming up behind me that I did not have for my generation. And I, I, don't, I don't know how much longer I can hang on. I don't know if I have what it takes to still go on because there have been setbacks and there have been regrets. 
God, can you hear me? Heaven, do you hear us? God, am I still your beloved? Am I still your child? Yes, Jesus says. Yes. You'll be okay. The future is in my hands. And I will be with you. I'll be with you. And he not only promises us a future that exceeds the possibilities of our imagination, but he also promises his abiding and holy presence. We're not alone left to figure out how to make our lives abundant and rich, but God has given us a heritage, and he has adopted us by his grace. He has granted us an inheritance, a double portion. And why would God do that? that I mean, that's a really good question, I think. Why, why would God, God, why would you even do that? And I really consider myself and the efforts that I've made in this life and the mistakes I've made and the regrets that I have. God, why would you be committed to me in that way? And we all know the Sunday school answer, right? It's love. It's love, right? All you need is love, right? All that stuff. So we know that. But what kind of love? I would suggest that in this story, the story that Jacob retells to his son and to his grandsons in his hearing, that we figure out what kind of love this is. Jacob retells the story, doesn't he? He says, he tells them, I served for seven years for Rachel. I served her father. Right? And then he says that they only seemed to him as a few days. (laughs) Uh, He had that much love for her. Seven years, it felt like 48 hours, if you will. And then his father-in-law tricked him into serving another seven years. But he did it anyway. And then he retells the story, and he gets to the end, and he says, son, remember, I lost your mom. On the way to Bethlehem, we had to bury her. She died after your brother's birth, after Benjamin. And I only had two sons left to remind me of her. And then at one point, I also thought that my eldest son, you, Joseph, that you were dead. They only had one son left to remind me of my beloved, Rachel. So then when Joseph was restored to his father, it was like his wife, Jacob's wife, was alive again. That she was restored to him His beloved was brought back to his arms in a sense. And it's because of his love for Rachel that Ephraim and Manasseh received Jacob's blessing to begin with. Do you know that God has made you and I after his own image? Do you know that there was a time in which it seemed that we were lost to the schemes of the devil and that we were lost to sin and destruction, and darkness, that we were lost to death and God's own condemnation because we chose to love ourselves and God's world in our own way. But you and I, Jacob and Joseph, Peter and Paul were as good as dead, but God sees 
and saw and continues to see His glory in our eyes. And He is not content to leave us to chance and to darkness. And we see this in Jacob's greater son, who became the firstborn. Jesus, the Son of God, who became man, who became the firstborn among many brothers, having preeminence over all mankind. And instead of being blessed at the knees of his father, he was pushed away and he was cursed at the cross. He gave away his own birthright so that we, the weaker sisters and brothers, could receive the birthright. And God couldn't wait to call you and us once again, my child, my child, my beloved. Our story is a tale of two children, Jesus Christ and the child that was lost. That is our story. And though our world may feel like a vacuum, though it feels like the foundations may crumble, though its rich future may seem threatened, the glory of God's love still fills it because Christ himself has secured it. The more that you let that deepen and sink into your heart, the more that you begin to envision and take within your heart this what God has done. When he not only crossed, he crossed his hands, Jacob did, crossed his hands so that the sons of Jacob might be blessed, but God, through Jesus, opened up his hands and were nailed into the cross so that we could have a secure future, so that we would be restored to our Heavenly Father. The more we take this in, the more that song that was written by Carrie Joe can become a song in our own hearts when she says, in the midst of deep sorrow, I see your light is breaking through. The dark of night will not overtake me. I am pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle, and I will not fear. You amaze me. You redeem me. You call me as your own. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. We may have thought that as we look at the scriptures and begin to dissect stories like this, that maybe what we're supposed to get is sort of three steps, three easy steps to assurance as we face the future. Well, we get something a little bit more significant. We may be thinking that we can just approach things like this and just maybe if I can get five different ways to just make my life count, man, that would be so easy. And strategies do count. Outcomes do mean something in our lives. But the large portion of the Bible, largest portions of it, are wisdom. Like so many of you, I've struggled through crises in my own life, underneath the shadow of the cross. And for me right now, it's the whole, the midlife crises, which makes me laugh and cry at the same time. But I've learned this, that what makes our lives significant is not what we do, but who we are. Who we are. We are first daughters and sons of the king. And so pursuing change in this world is just, should just flow out of who we are. Whatever the, whatever the future may look like, Right? And we're unsure of what's coming. Right? If we're, we're children of, of the king, 
I'm like seeking to change and make a difference. It's just what we do in our own little ways. We can lean into these assurances that God has given to us as heirs of his salvation. And if, as we do this, then we can be set free from the shame and the guilt and the regret that we feel from our setbacks and our failures. And we don't have to let our upheavals devastate us because we still, in the, at the end of the day, belong to God. And we, even as we lean into, the, into God's uh, acceptance of us and God's future for us and God's present with us, then we can begin to let go of those things that, that cause us to escape into different things, such as pornography and alcohol and, and our work and the things that cause us to withdraw from people and the, the places into which we've been called to care for. Let us seek to know our Father. Let us continue to place ourselves at his knees. When you can't take another step, that might be a good thing because then you can bow yourself at the knees of your heavenly father and allow him to bless you. Let him guide us and look around you. These are your brothers, your sisters of the faith. You have a family. You're not alone. Continue to lean in. And as we continue to do this, Right, with them, we'll see that we uh, that uh, we have opportunities to not only get to know each other, but also to collaborate with each other for good in our lives and for good in the places in which we've been called. We can collaborate with each other and learn how to be a blessing to our neighbors, just as God is with Jacob and just as God was with Joseph so he will be with you and I through Jesus Christ because you are his child. And as Jesus said, and lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the assurance of your presence. Thank you, God, that you have claimed us as your children, that you are not content to let us be torn apart from you, torn apart from each other, bound to sin and to judgment. But you sent your Son to release us to proclaim a jubilee, to proclaim a freedom that would not only call forth praise from our hearts, but would change our lives. And God, we hear your Son, even today, proclaiming, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh God, would you come to us today and renew us Renew a right spirit within us. Remind us of the adoption that you have proclaimed over us and have made in us. Remind us that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit.
that you have given us nothing less than yourself. And God, if we have you, we have everything we need. And so no matter what comes in our future, Lord, we can look ahead and see that you are there. When we look in the past, and we may wonder, was the past worth anything? Were our setbacks and our failures, our devastations and our losses, were they worth anything? We can look back and see that you were there too. And so, Lord, when we look right now in the present, help us to see you. Give us eyes to see that we may not be lost to our depression, our despair, the things that naturally come in times of transition, that we may not be lost to our doubts and certainly not lost to the hands and the schemes of the enemy. But Lord, come to us, help us to see you, that we may be reminded that in Christ Jesus, you have made us more than conquerors. Lord, we testify with our hearts, with our bended knees, scraped as they are. We testify to your great victory. We testify to the risen Lord, through whom all the promises that you have made are yes and amen, now and forever. In Christ's name, amen.